Our Father, we're here tonight on a Wednesday night. Spring is here, another transition of season. We think back to where we were a year ago. It's always a good exercise. Where were we? Where was I a year ago? What was going on? What was I dealing with? What were the issues? For some of us, uh, that period of time a year ago was a difficult time. Uh, perhaps some guys that are here look back on that uh, time a year ago, and they were out of work. They weren't sure how they were going to make it. They weren't sure how they were going to navigate the financial load that was upon them without an income stream. Here they are 12 months later, and uh, you've provided a job. You stepped in, you made a way, you delivered. Perhaps there are other guys that a year ago tonight were in the reverse situation. They had a job, but they're here tonight, and they don't. You are always testing our faith. You are always governing our lives but you do it so often in ways that we do not understand. We would pray that you would give us discernment to understand that the events in our life that occur are not random. The events that take place that take us by surprise and shock us and stun us and blindside us, that's all part of your plan. We, at the beginning of the year, often set our goals, and we set our 90-day goals and six-month goals and 12-month goals and all that. Sometimes we hit them, sometimes we don't. Sometimes things happen in the middle of a year that completely throw us. And we wonder, what is going on? And what are you up to? And why am I dealing with this? You tell us in James to count it all joy when we encounter various trials. We have various trials in this room tonight in the lives of different men. Uh, we, we, we are not in a cookie-cutter relationship with you. Our, our lives look very different. Different guys deal with different issues. Different guys have diff different afflictions. But whatever that might be, we're to count it as joy, we're to think it as joy, not necessarily experience it as joy or feel it as joy, but in our minds, we're to consider it as joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. Endurance is critical in the Christian life. And Lord, we look around at what's going on in our nation. We look at what's going on in the world, and what becomes clear to us is, not, is that things are not getting easier and easier. They're getting harder and harder. And what is going to be required to follow you is endurance. If that is true, we should thank you for the trials. We should thank you for the difficulties, because those are the things that build our spiritual muscles. It's running the hills of life that get us in shape. It's not sitting on the couch with the remote, uh, 
eating ice cream sandwiches. That, that may be fun, but it doesn't accomplish anything. You have called us to be ambassadors of Christ. You want us to accomplish the works that you have set out for us, not, not works to be saved. We, we are not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But after we come to you, you have a work for each of us to do. You have many works for us to do. But in order to accomplish those works, you've got to build our character and build us up internally and, and make us stronger men. So we're going to go through hard things. In the midst of that, don't let us get discouraged. Help us to understand the process. Help us to take a step back and just look at the big picture. What is going on here? Help us to look at our lives through the lens of the Word of God. You tell us. You, you tell us about the process. We, we should not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes among us, as though some strange were happening to us, Peter said. We should expect the trials. We should understand that the, every trial has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And we're at various points in that process. Encourage us, Lord, to continue to stay close to you to keep our Bibles open, to put the Word of God in our hearts. And even tonight, as we open our Bibles, encourage us. Give us what we need. Fuel us up. Some of us are running on fumes. Sustain us. Energize us. Put hope back in our hearts that we are not alone, that we are not by ourselves, that our lives are not out of control. They're under your control. We'd ask for teachable spirits and encouragement. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sinclair Ferguson is a uh, theological professor at Westminster Seminary. He is a pastor. He is a... Uh, he is a skilled surgeon in the Word of God. He tells the story of uh, being in South Africa a number of years ago and taking a tour of the De Beers diamond mine. It was a uh, remarkable day. He learned many things. They took an elevator and went down deep into the... Uh, to the earth, and they heard explosions, they saw men working as they were continuing to mine this field that they have been mining for decades and decades now, where they bring out some of the greatest diamonds in all the world. And as they finished the tour, the guide said, you know, every day we blast away 16,000 tons of rock. And each day we only bring up a couple of handfuls of diamonds. But it's worth it. It really is, for these stones are precious stones. Now you think about that. Get that in your head. And I'm, checking, I'm just checking it again to make sure I've got it right. Every day they mine 16,000 tons of of rock. If you're old, if you're old, you remember a song, 
16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. It's one of the great hymns of the, of the faith. Because <laughs> Tennessee Ernie Ford sang it, man. Huh? Let me tell you. That guy can sing a song. You young guys, you go YouTube Tennessee Ernie. He'll touch your heart. 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older, deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me. Because I can't go. I own my soul to the company store. Let's stand and sing verse 2. <laughs> All right, that's 16 tons. But, but look it, this isn't 16 tons. Sinclair Ferguson goes to that diamond mine, and he says, the, what's the guide say? Every day we blast away 16,000 tons of rock. And what do we get out of it? A handful. A couple of handfuls each day of diamonds. We've been going uh, at a snail's pace through Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. The reason we've been going slow is that there are some precious stones in here. There are some nuggets. And the temptation is to go over this quickly, but we don't want to miss any of the nuggets. It's a familiar passage if you've been here with us. And, and from what I asked earlier, if we have any new guys, and we don't, therefore everybody here has been here a while. So you are familiar with the passage. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So when you become serious about following Christ, when you get off of the Texas cultural uh, social position, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm this, I'm that. Who cares? The question is, do you know Christ? Are you a man of God? That is the issue. And when you start following Christ with a whole heart, when you trust in Christ, when you tell him that you want to follow him, when he comes into your life, gives you a new heart, and, and you begin the process of becoming a disciple of Christ, so much of evangelical Christianity is interested in decisions. But as I read the Bible, Jesus is talking about discipleship. It's just not a one-time decision. It is becoming a disciple. It is becoming a follower. Follow me, he says. Follow me. So it's every day following Christ. When, when you begin that process, you are going to encounter Ephesians 6 stuff. You're going to encounter spiritual battle for the first time in your life. Prior to that, the enemy is not going to worry about you because you're already neutralized. You're not making an impact. You're not influencing anybody for Christ. Uh, you're not leading anybody. You're not leading your family. You're not giving direction to your kids from a spiritual standpoint. But the moment you start following Christ, you're going to be into this stuff. 
So verse 13 says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God. Not one piece, not two, not four. Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, and here we go into the pieces of armor. First one, having girded your loins with truth. The first piece is the belt of truth. Now, we ought to say this. Uh, Paul has probably got a Roman centurion in his mind because Paul spent a lot of his time chained to a Roman soldier. Uh, If you think about uh, the book of Philippians, Paul, uh, in the early chapter of Philippians, he writes to encourage uh, that group of believers because they're discouraged. Now, you would think he would be the one who is discouraged because he's in jail. But he's writing to encourage them because they're concerned because the greatest preacher, Apostle Paul, he's locked up. In fact, flip over there. It's just one book over. So Paul's in prison, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. If you don't think that God works strangely, just read this. So they, they, they send some kind of message to him. You know, try, they're, they're, kind of, they're kind of down. It's, it's the same thing that happened um, in England when John Bunyan, John Bunyan was just a tinker. He would uh, repair and sell pots and pans and he was just kind of a traveling guy that would repay, you know, he was just a tink. Then Christ got a hold of him. He was a blasphemer. He had been in the military. He was a tough fighter. Um, uh, what, what he did for fun, he would go hear these open-air preachers that they had back then, and uh, he would cuss them out, and he'd throw stuff at them and try to intimidate them. That's, that's what he did for fun. And then Christ got a hold of him. And what happened to John Bunyan is that John Bunyan started reading the Bible, and he was not an educated man, but he could read, and he started reading the Bible. And he started, um, he started doing what he uh, used to not do. Uh, and instead of throwing stuff at preachers, he began to get up and preach. And people began to listen because he had an extraordinary gift. He had such a great gift that they put him in jail. So many people were coming to Christ, they put him in jail, and they said, look it, here's the deal. You can get out whenever you want. You just have to promise not to preach the gospel. Isn't that wild? So he's in there for 12 years. His, he had a family. He had a little girl named Mary who was born blind. They would come and visit him, and every time uh, the family would leave, and, and they had no means of support. They were basically destitute. Their clothes were in rags. They were, the wife was just trying to get enough to just feed them. She went up and made an appeal to the magistrate. He wouldn't listen to her. And this little girl who was blind, whenever she would leave, he said it was like someone ripping the muscle right off of his his bone. It just crushed him. And then the Christians are saying, God, why have you allowed this? This guy is such a powerful preacher. Um, There's a man named John Owen. And if you... um, John Owen is one of the great theologians of all of history. He was, for a while, the chaplain to Oliver Cromwell. He was uh, head of Oxford University when it was a Christian institution. Brilliant scholar. Um, uh, he, he, uh, 
His, his volumes of works, I, I, that wouldn't even touch it. He was a massive intellect, a massive scholar who loved Christ. And he, he said one time, he heard Bunyan preach, he said, I would give up all my learning if I could preach like that. He was a powerful preacher. So were Christians upset when he was thrown in jail for 12 years? Yeah. God, we don't understand this. Why would you throw the greatest preacher in England in jail? Why would you do it? Well, because God doesn't look at things short term like you and I do. God looks at the long term. This guy who was a great preacher was actually a better writer. So what did God do? God just put him in jail for 12 years, and so he writes something called Pilgrim's Progress. Then he writes Holy War. Then he writes a bunch of other stuff that is still being read to this day. The second best-selling book in history is Pilgrim's Progress. People still read it today. Kids still read it today. My kids read it. And this guy writes it. When did he write it? Oh, isn't that great? What was he at his, uh, his home in Maui writing this thing on the beach, smoking a cigar? Uh, you know, uh, don't send me an email on that, by the way. But uh, he wasn't in Maui. He wasn't in his second home. A lot of times I read books by writers that are real successful. And, it, and it's a, they divide their time between uh, their, their farm in Vermont and their home in Maui. And I think, how come my books can't sell like that? <laughs> anyway, just, just a personal thing, a little bitterness in my heart. But John Bunyan wasn't in Maui, and he didn't have a nice little retreat getaway, an architectural digest that was in Vermont. He was in a jail cell for 12 years. And nobody's going to do it. This guy's the greatest preacher. Why is he locked up? Because God wants to use him for hundreds and hundreds of years. That's why. Paul says, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So did John Bunyan's. He just didn't know it. Look at this. I want you to know my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known through the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. The Praetorian Guard were the choice of the choice of the Roman military. They, they were the uh, cream of the crop. They were the West Point guys. They were the uh, Air Force Academy guys. They were the Annapolis guys. They, they, they had brains off the charts. They had leadership ability. They were the guys that were going to you know, be leading the battles, the Joint Chiefs, all that stuff. Cream of the crop. They were hand-selected to protect Caesar. What does he say here? He says, the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Now, why is that? Uh, there were eight-hour shifts. And Paul was chained to a Roman guard, or as Ray Stedman used to say, actually the way it was, the, 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 Roman, the young Roman Praetorian Guard with all this great potential, who was trying to live a nice pagan life, actually he was chained to the Apostle Paul. Paul wasn't chained to him, he was chained to Paul. And you know what happened? How would you like to be chained? You're just trying to live a nice pagan life, and, oh yeah, tomorrow I'm that guy, that, that guy that keeps talking about Jesus. Gosh. Anyway, I can, can hey, hey, you got any, I'll give you three vacation days, man, if you'll take that duty for me. No, no thanks, I've been there. I, 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 yeah, I met that guy once. I'm not going back in there. And one by one, the Spirit of God starts picking off these choice young men. So the cause of Christ becomes well known. These young leaders of the Roman Empire, the, the, the Roman Senate, most of them came out of the Praetorian Guard. Cream of the cream. 
Oh, by the way, could Paul have knocked on Caesar's palace and said, hey, excuse me, I wonder if you have any time you can get all the guys together. I want to do a chapel service for the Praetorian Guard. Get out of here. So God takes him in the back door. So as Paul is chained to a young Roman soldier, a centurion, he's just looking at this guy, and these guys all had the same standard uniform. That's Ephesians 6. They all had on the armor. And all Paul's got to do is just look at this guy, and he just sees it. What's the first piece he mentions back in Ephesians 6? Belt of truth. Belt of truth is central. Then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about this, uh, what was it, last week, week before. Breastplate of righteousness. Uh, breastplate of righteousness covered the, uh, here's that word again, thorax, the trunk, covered the vital organs. You, you don't, if you get a stab wound in your hand, you'll probably be okay. You get a stab wound in the liver, in the heart, it's fatal. So you've got to have a breastplate. You can go to museums. And uh, you go, if you're in London, you go to the British Museum. They got a whole wing just of, just of military history and, and armor. And you can see how armor developed over the years. But you would put on that breastplate, and these young men, these Praetorian guards, they'd have on a breastplate to protect the vital organs. We put on the breastplate of the righteousness of Christ. And then he says this. He says in verse 15, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is the next piece. And this is, see, this is one you could really fly right over because he's talking about shoes. He's talking about boots. Um, I, I think we observed once we got back together in January uh, and we were talking one night. I, I, do you remember some of the bowl games? In fact, uh, two of them took place in Cowboy Stadium. And, oh, it was the Cotton Bowl, was the first one. Cotton Bowl used to be in the Cotton Bowl, now it's Cowboy Stadium. And what was interesting, if you remember that game, within the first 10 minutes, several players slipped. Why did they slip? Well, it had to do with footwear. You're not going to be real successful in a football game if you can't keep your feet under you. Um, same thing happened when they played the Super Bowl. Same field, same turf. Those guys, some of those players, they're slipping. They're having trouble keeping their feet. TCU was in the um, Rose Bowl. I've been to the Rose Bowl a bunch of times. That is an immaculate grass field. You know, perfect weather conditions out there. Uh, the TCU guys in the first quarter were slipping like crazy. The running backs, the receivers. They, they'd go to make cuts, and they'd go down. And that, that's not a good omen. I read later that uh, they were wearing new Nike cleats that had been delivered the day before the game. And I was thinking to myself, well, at halftime, they're going to change cleats. They didn't because they couldn't because they didn't have anything to change into. You see, footwork is critical. Uh, for the Roman soldier, he had a combination quote slash, if you can imagine such a thing, hobnail boot sandal with an open toe with, uh, with, with cleats on the bottom. The reason he had cleats was so that, what does it say in the passage here three times? It says, stand firm. 
Stand firm. Stand firm. Uh, verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's the New American Standard. In the English Standard Version, some of you guys have the ESV, it says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So these, these shoes, these boots, with the cleats, with the hobnails, would enable them to do two things. Number one, it would enable them to stand firm. Because there are, there are times when you've got to stand firm, you're in hand-to-hand -hand combat, and the last thing you want to be doing is slipping. You don't want to be going down because you've, you, you, you've got lousy footwear. Uh, there is, uh, my gosh, I mean, when I was a kid, there was uh, Converse Chuck Taylor All-Stars. And that was about it. If you were playing basketball. Uh, there wasn't much else. Oh, you get U.S. Kids or something, or PF Flyers, but, you know, not, there wasn't a lot of stuff. Now there's, um, there's shoes for everything. Everything. I mean, Nike's got a shoe. If you're uh, washing your car, Nike's got a shoe. <laughs> if you're painting your house, uh, Nike's got an Air Jordan... Um, They, they, they develop with Sherman Williams to paint your house or something. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You ever walk into these stores? I mean, you know, what, what do these guys do all day? Is that all they think about are shoes? Yeah, yes, that's all they think about are shoes. There's, they, they, for whatever task, whatever athletic event, whatever competition, you're thinking, they got a shoe for you. Why? Because if your shoes are off, you're not going to do well. So this Roman boot slash sandal, this hobnail, would do two things. It would enable them to stand firm. But yes, there's also a time when they got to move out. And when you move out, you want to have secure footwork as well. That's the whole deal about the shoes. He begins with shoes, but he carries it on. And, and here's to me where you find the precious stone, you see. And when you fly over this, you could miss this. I'm going to read it out of the ESV. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Um, this is all about spiritual battle. This is about spiritual warfare. And when he talks about the gospel of peace, he's equating the right shoes with the gospel of peace. If you don't have the gospel of peace as your footwork, you're not ready for battle. Here's, here's what I draw from this. Um, at, at, because you see it's battle and he's talking about peace. And Here's the point I think that, is a, that, he, that, is, that, that he is making and I'm attempting to make. The point is simply this. If I'm going to do battle with Satan... I personally must have peace with God. That's it. How can I battle with Satan if I'm not at peace with the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, my solid footwork in my life as a Christian man, as a husband, as a father, when, when I did that book point man years and years ago, I was in the shower one morning. 
and I'm, I'm trying to get a hook. I'm trying to, about a, a man leading his family. And I'm thinking, you know what? You know what? That's just like a guy out there in Vietnam on military patrol. He gets chosen. He gets picked. You're out front. You're leading. And to a great degree, the well-being of the men behind him is going to determine by, by, by the leadership caliber of that guy on point. He, he's, he's got to be thinking. He's got to be alert. He's got to be aware. He's got to be looking for snipers. He's got to have all of his senses on, uh, on overdrive. He's got to be reading. He's got to be sensing. He's got to be looking. He's got to be hearing. He's, because to a great degree of truth, the well-being of those men behind him are going to be dependent on the caliber of leadership that guy can provide. Only in this battle you're not leading your friends, your fellow soldier. Uh, if you're a husband and father, you're leading your family. you got your wife and kids behind you. So if you're serious about Christ, is the enemy going to try and take you out? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, if you're going to do battle with Satan, you first must have peace with God and be convinced of it. That's the gospel of peace. Last week we were in Romans 4. Let's go back to Romans 4, then we're going to Romans 5. What, what I want to do tonight, I want to, I want to talk about peace. peace. Peace is one of those diamonds. Peace is one of those nuggets. Peace is one of those valuable jewels. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Not peace as the world gives. That's the cheap peace. The peace, that the, the, the peace that the world gives, um, it's worthless. The peace that the world gives is uh, you've you got full employment with all benefits, da, 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 you're secure for the rest of your life. Well, we're sure finding out about that, aren't we? Yeah, you can kiss that off. Those, those, days, those days are over. Those days are gone. You say, well, I'm, I'm fully vested. Well, you are, you are right now. I'm kind of follow up on Bill. Bill got me going here. You, 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 you might be set right now. I mean, it could all come crashing down when you get home and check the Internet tonight. It, it could. It actually could. But see, Jesus doesn't give that kind of peace. Well, look at my IRA. Look at my 401Ks. Look at my, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I got all that Enron stock. I mean, I'm good. I'm set for life. Well, you might be in jail. It happens, doesn't it? Romans 4. We keep going back to Romans in this study, don't we? Yeah, we do. Um, the doctrine that is in Romans is critical. It is, it is absolutely critical. Let me show you, first of all, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Last week we were in Romans 4, and here you get to 5, 1, and Paul says, therefore. Which, so when a guy says, therefore, what's he doing? He's summing up what he just said. Well, that's what we were in last week was verse 4, uh, chapter 4. So let's back up, back up to 422, because this is what he's going to talk about in 5. 
4.22, therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. We talked last week about the righteousness of Christ, that it has been imputed to us. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus died for my sin. He died for your sin. He lived a sinless life. We should have been on the cross. We were the guilty ones, not Jesus. But he died in our place. The wrath of God that was judicially should have come upon us was put upon Jesus. Never forget that. The, the, the judicial punishment that should have put on, been put on you and me has not come upon us. It was placed on Christ. And because Jesus died for us in our place, his righteousness was credited, as we said last week, to our account. All right, we're picking that up again in 422. Verse 23, and he was speaking of Abraham. And not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, legally justified before God by the righteousness of Christ. So God is not angry with, he's not angry with me anymore. My sin was paid for by Jesus. Legally, it has been paid. Legally, it has been handled. The, it has, uh, there's a uh, propitiation. You'll see that uh, in 1 John. It, it means satisfaction. The, the price was satisfied by the death of Christ for me. Therefore, watch this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace. With God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, let's keep going, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we, what? Stand. There you go with boots. Do you have scripture, scripture interprets scripture? In which we stand. Well, man, in Ephesians, he said stand firm three times. Right? Well, how do you stand firm? You got to put on the... The shoes. You got to be prepared with the right shoes of the gospel of what? The gospel of peace. If you're, here's the point. If you're not firmly planted with your hobnail boots in the righteousness of Christ, which brought about for you peace with God. Billy Graham wrote a book years ago called Peace with God. It's about the work of Christ. You're firmly planted in the grace of Jesus Christ who made it possible for you to have your sins forgiven, for you to be, care, be declared judicially righteous before the God the Father, and that's your ground. That's the ground upon which you stand. And, and, and you don't waver. You, you, you stand firm on, on that legal right, you see. And when you stand firm, you understand that you have peace with God. Isn't that something? Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. I love this stuff. Don't you? Hey, guys, how you doing? So, Larry, what kind of car do you have? 
What do you drive? What do you drive? What kind of car do you drive? A Prius. You drive a Prius. How many miles a gallon do you get? About 45. About 45. So why are you late? <laughs> One gallon short of my goal. He's got a Prius and he ran out of gas. I just thought I'd share that. I just had to put the knife in and twist it. That's classic, man. That's something I do. No, I bet it wasn't. Well, listen, we're just full of grace and mercy here for you tonight. Glad you made it. Yeah. Yeah, well, hey, you just keep going green. You'll be fine, man. You got to get one of that. You got to get some wind power on that Prius. You know, then you'd be fine. Yeah. The peace of God. The peace of God. It's the peace of God. You see, go to, uh, uh, go to John 14. We quoted it. Let's go ahead and... And, and see, once again, this is, this is where... See, see, this is when you get serious about Christ. This is where Satan is going to attack you. This is where he's going to come after you. This is where he is going to try and bring you down uh, in terms of the privileges that you have in terms of your relationship with Christ. Uh, John 14. Look at, uh, look at 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Why? Because we have a different peace. We, 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 we look around, we see what's happening in the world, we see this, we see this thing happening. Oh, I thought, man, things were going to get better. We see all this. And, and oh my gosh, oh, gee, okay, all right. And then what happens? We lose our peace. Go back to John 14.1. Do not let your heart be troubled. See, trouble, your heart being troubled is the opposite of peace. You know what peace is? Peace is a sense of, here's what peace is. Peace is a sense of well-being. Just well-being. And when your heart's troubled, you don't have any well-being. Jesus in John 14 has just told them he's going to go away. They don't want him to go away. That's the last thing they want. So what did Jesus say? Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Don't let your heart be troubled. Look, it's all in control. There's a reason I'm going. I'm going to go do something. I'm going to, do, I'm going to set something up for you for eternity. Well, we don't want you to go because you've been with us. Yeah, but you see, he uh, says, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So that's what the Spirit of God does in our life. We're walking through the week, stuff happens. Uh, suddenly we get troubled, we lose our peace. This happens, this is unexpected. We get hammered with this, we get stunned by this, we get a pink slip. Uh, you find out your wife's you know, gone to the doctor, the tests come back and you didn't want to hear that result, and you're suddenly in the middle of it. And what happens? Our hearts get troubled. Our hearts get choked. And see, when that happens, what gets choked out? His peace. His peace. Uh, 
He is relentless on trying to take away that jewel of peace that he gives to us. And so often, here's what happens to us, even as Christian men, the peace that we have, the peace that we have is based not on his peace, it's based on stuff that we've gotten from the world that we put our hope in. I remember before the crash, whatever we call this thing we're in, this recession, I had a friend and a physician, and I was in there for a check of land. We were just talking. We're pretty good friends. He says, hey, he said, you know, he said, he said yeah, this, is, this has been good for me, this crash. I said, I said, really? I said, most everybody's been hurt that I know. He said, oh, I got hurt. I got nailed. He said, I had, I had uh, two million bucks in a retirement fund, and I was day trading with it. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, uh, I got zero in there now. I said, really? He went from two million to zero. Can I, can I invest with you? <laughs> you sound like me. My motto is buy, help, buy high, sell low. That's kind of how I've done it for years. Uh, he said, you know, Steve, it's, it's, really been, uh, it's really been a good thing for me. I've actually, it's helped me at home, and it's helped me be a better doctor. I said, how so? He said, it used to be between patients. I'd always run in there and hit the computer, and I was checking how much I had. And he said, it was funny. He, he said, if, if, if my stuff had gone up, I felt pretty good. If my stuff went down, it affected me emotionally. And I was always checking it. See, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he said, you know what? Best thing ever happened to me. It just got wiped out. He said, shoot, God's taken care of me his whole life. I mean, my whole life. Why would he stop now? He said, you know what's happening to me? He said, I started trusting in that stuff. I actually started loving it more than I loved him. He says, it's kind of relief that it's gone. He said, I'm better at home. I'm better here. And interesting. See, he had a piece. He, he had a $2 million piece that the world gives. But what he was telling me, I've lost it, and now I've gotten back the peace which passes all understanding. But you see, I got my perspective back. Uh, let's go back to Romans 5. Let's keep talking about peace. This is one of the great jewels that we are offered by Christ and it's one of the jewels as we are in spiritual battle and living in this world that the enemy wants to take away from us. So you get to Romans chapter... I, I, I have to tell you guys something. Over the last several months, I'm having great difficulty finding the books of the Bible. I don't know how to explain this. Um, I've had several blood tests. I don't know what's going on. But... Where I used to just turn to stuff, I'm actually blanking. I'm just admitting it. Um, if I keel over tonight, would someone just call 911 and... Oh, you're a paramedic, aren't you? Okay, we're good. Forget, he'll take care of me. Yeah, you've got gas in your car, don't you? Okay, good. Right. Oh, you got a full tank now, huh? Oh, you put half a gallon in your car? Yeah, okay. You better get that sleigh and those reindeer back, man. I mean... <laughs> look at Romans... Uh, 
Uh, let's go back to Romans 5. I want to just, I want to read some verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Why? We, we've been justified. We're righteous in Christ. Look down at verse 3. And not only this, but we also rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Be, now, the peace that the world gives disappoints, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Uh, uh, look at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul just keeps hammering this home. He, he keeps hammering this point home. What is biblical Christianity? It is that Christ came and died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. He died that we who were guilty might be forgiven. It, it, it's 5.8. God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, I'm justified. There have, therefore, I have peace with God. This is the grace in which I may stand. And this is the truth that I will always be attacked by the enemy on who will try to rob me of my peace. Always. See, if this is true, let's stop and think about this. And I've tried to hit this the last couple of weeks because I think it's our experience. What happens is we get serious about following the Lord and then the enemy keeps attacking us on this ground of our justification in Christ. We, we, we will struggle with sin. We will struggle with a particular sin. We will fall short. We feel that we, we get angry with our kids. We uh, get upset with our wife. We lose our temper. You know, when am I going to get over that? When, when am I going to have some victory? When? And, and then the enemy just starts accusing us, heaping guilt upon us. What happens? We turn on ourselves. We, we begin to question ourselves. Do I even know the Lord? If I'm a Christian, why do I keep struggling? And, and, and I'm telling you guys, this is where he comes after us. And then he is so relentless that we begin to question our salvation. We begin to question our standing with God. If, we've, if we can even go to God, this is where we've got to get this armor. And you take the full armor. We've got to get the belt of truth. We put up the breastplate of the righteousness of Christ. We shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of what? Peace. Because I've been, this stuff all ties together. I am in Christ. And through Christ and what he did for me, I have peace with God. Let me give you some scriptures. When the enemy comes after you on this, Psalm 56, 9. This I know that God is for me. Do you know that? Well, see, half the time the enemy is telling me, he's not for you, he's against. See, here's our problem. Half the time we walk around as Christian men thinking God is mad at us. Do we not? We walk around as Christian men, if you don't think he's mad, you think he's disappointed. Did your father ever say to you, 
I'm very disappointed in you. Now, can I say something to you? If you're a father or grandfather, that should not be the words your kids put on your tombstone. That should not be the theme that they have ringing in their ears from their life with you as their father. I'm not saying there aren't times. There are times. But if that is a continual phrase that is being said to those children, that's not how you build, uh, that's not how you build children. Yeah, but they fail. They're always, uh, yeah, they do. Is it, it, yeah, you learn. You learn through failure. You learn through messing up. You learn, you learn, you learn, you learn. Is God always saying to us, I'm very disappointed in you? Is he always saying that? No, no. That's, I mean, as I read the scripture, you know what I hear in the scripture? I hear grace. I hear forgiveness. I hear mercy. I hear loving kindness. Uh, go to 103 of Psalm. And once again, guys, we got to keep hammering the word of God, as we're going to see in a couple weeks. The, the word of God is our sword. It's our only offensive weapon. If you don't, if you don't know Scripture, you're not going to be able to fight back. You're, you're basically defenseless against the attacks of the enemy when he's coming to destroy your peace. You, you better be able to pull out this sword and fight against it. You got the breastplate, the breastplate here. We're going to get into the shield of faith, which you hold up, but you got to take the sword of the Word of God. Psalm, um, Psalm 103, the, the Lord is disappointed and upset with you. I'm in verse 8. That's not what it says. Look at this. Look what it says about God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, and he is abounding in loving kindness. He's about, have you ever seen a natural artesian spring? You can't cap them. They just keep bubbling. They just bubbling. In Central Oregon, up above Bend, up above Sisters in the Cascades, there's a river called the Metolius River. It's a crystal spring-fed river. You can go to the headwaters of the Metolius River. I've been there. And you know what it is? Out of the side of this mountain, at the base, there's a, 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 a trickle of spring-fed water has been coming out of there for thousands of years. And it just, it just bubbles out. And you stand there, and you just watch it go down the hill. And by the time you would get out to the parking lot over there, it's about uh, four feet wide and about yay deep. And then if you walk down about another 300 yards, it's about double size, double depth. It just keeps, it abounds. It just abounds. It just keeps coming. That's the love of God. Uh, he's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Are there times God gets angry? Yeah. It's righteous anger. We can have righteous anger. But it's quick. You don't, for us, we don't let the sun go down in our anger. There's an appropriate anger. There's an inappropriate anger. God's anger is always appropriate. 
It's swift. It's quick. God disciplines. It's over. Um, look at verse 10. He has not... And, and see, here's where the enemy lies to us. Oh, you keep screwing up. You keep messing up. You keep falling short. Oh, you're such a disappointment. Oh, how can you expect God to bless you? How can you, how can you say... How, look at this. Look at this. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, and we keep hearing that he does. He doesn't deal with me according to our sins. Watch this. Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Oh, he's always disappointed. He's always going to get me. So that's exactly what it doesn't say. As high as the heavens are above the earth, 11. So great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east, oh my gosh, I got seven minutes. I just saw that thing. Gosh. Okay. Man, I thought I had 27 minutes. In all honesty, if you had to ask me. So, okay. As far as the, well, don't, all right, let's, let's read this because this is valuable. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? Quite a ways. So here's what happens. I'm trying to follow the Lord. I'm trying to be a man of God, all this. I fall short and all this. And what does the enemy come? He comes and accuses me. He says, how can you call yourself a Christian? You keep failing there. And he keeps trying to take those past sins and, and Velcro those suckers on me. And what the Lord has done, he's removed those from me as far as the east is from the west. That's what he does. And as long as I let him do that, I'm going to have no peace, am I? None. Can I be effective against the enemy if I'm wondering if I have peace with God? No. He's got me. I'm nailed. I'm on the ground. He's got his foot on my throat. Romans 8, 26. We're talking about peace. Are you sure that clock is right back there? Because I, I, I mean, I'm dead serious. All right, now look, I'm going to shoot straight with you guys. Um, last uh, Wednesday night, I went home. And uh, I was in the kitchen, and Mary walked in, and we were just talking. She said, so Steve, how are you doing? And I said, I'm all right. She said, you're not all right. I said, well, I'm all right. She said, you're not all right. I said, yeah, I know. And uh, so we start talking. And, uh, and we just start talking. And, I've been, and, and she said, so here's what I think you're thinking about and dealing with. And I said, yeah. And I've been dealing with it for several weeks. Actually, going back to Christmas. And I, I told her, I said, if there's a word that describes where I am right now, it's the word perplexed. Perplexed. In 2 Corinthians, uh, I know we're in Romans 8, but go to 2 Corinthians. In, in 2 Corinthians, I mean, honestly, I am blanking. I can't even find. I, I'm getting worried. Is that, um, yeah, thanks. 
thank you. I, my funeral's on uh, Saturday, and I, I hope you guys can all come. Me cookies and punch. Or I'll be in the asylum, and I hope you'll come and visit me. And if I drool, just wipe it off for me, will you? Look at 2 Corinthians 4. Look at verse 8. We looked at this passage recently. He says, Paul says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Watch this. He says, we're perplexed. You know, there are seasons in life where you've got a transition going on. And just, there are seasons where that's how it is. And, uh, I, I, you know, I've kind of been there for a while. And the reason I'm sharing this with you guys is I think a lot of times when guys teach the Bible, guys that listen, they, that guy's not dealing with anything. But the fact is, we all deal with the same stuff. I don't care if you're up here or sitting there or whatever. We're just guys. We're following Christ, and we're in stuff. And uh, I've been perplexed for a while because I'm trying to figure some stuff out. But I'm just perplexed. And I've been perplexed since Christmas on some stuff. In fact, what I did at Christmas, and I'm going to hold this back here so you can't read it, but I actually one morning got up early, and I wrote my name, Steve, and I said, why am I so screwed up? And I wrote, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight areas I got going on in my life. I can't figure out. It, I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but I just, I, I, it's like I had them under control, and I can't seek them, and I can't keep doing what I'm doing at the level I'm doing it. And what do I cut back? And Anyway. And since Christmas, one of them is resolved, and God resolved it in a marvelous way, just an incredible way. But I got seven more still on the table. And so as Mary and I were talking, she said, you know, I don't think you can keep going like this. And I said, no, I don't think I can either. She said, so what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I said, Mary, the word is perplexed. And what do you do when you're perplexed? Now, I've been perplexed before. I've had this happen to me before. You've probably had it happen to you. You're not sure of what, you know you need to make adjustments, you're not sure which ones. The ones that I know I, to make, I've made. But there are others where it's just not quite, does any of this, does this sync with anybody in this room, or am I just really screwed up? Okay? I'm just being honest with you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm the leader, then you're screwed. If I'm the leader. Not only am I perplexed, I'm much more than that. But anyway, so I'm just, working, I'm just dealing with this stuff, and it's gotten to the point where I actually, um, and we were just talking about stuff. I said, because here's the problem. If I do this, then that means this. But I'm not sure how to do that. But if I take this, that means that, and it's not clear to me. I'm just perplexed. And she said, well, you know, she said, I'm with you. We'll do whatever we need to do. I said, right, I know, and I'm grateful you are. We've been through all kinds of stuff. We'll get through this. It's just not clear to me. She said, well, we'll just be praying. I said, I know. I mean, it's fine. But it's just perplexing. I actually looked up perplexed. You know what perplexed means? It means at a loss for words. I've been so perplexed when I go to pray, you know what I do? I just go, Lord, I don't even know what to pray. And that, has that ever happened to you? I honestly don't even know what to say. Now, I know this. One of the things the enemy wants me to do is to not pray. He wants to discourage me to the point, I'll quit praying. See, we'll get to that later. That's at the end of this section. That's another minefield. 
You see? So I'm not sure what to pray. And in the 11 seconds that I have left, <laughs> what do you do when you're perplexed? And you don't know what to do. Go to Romans 8. Go to the Word of God. Here's where you get peace. Well, how do you have peace when you're perplexed? Go to Romans 8. If you can find Romans 8, and you say, Lord Jesus, help me to find Romans 8. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. By the way, that happened last Wednesday night. Thursday, all day long. Oh, by the way, Thursday morning, I got an email from a guy who was president of our high school graduating class saying, we're notifying you. Don't forget the date, not in 11, but in 12 of our whatever number high school reunion. I hadn't heard from this guy since 1967. And it brought back memories. And you know what happened the rest of that day on Thursday? All throughout Thursday? I found myself remembering things I, that happened to me I had done in high school. And I started condemning myself all day long. Stupid things I'd done. Then I started thinking when I got through college and I got married. I, and I spent the whole day pretty much thinking about, I'd think about a stupid thing, then I'd think of another stupid, all the way through my life, it was one after another. I'm not talking about 10 or 15. I'm talking 40, 50, it might have been 60. All throughout the day. And I was out that night walking Thursday night, and I'm pretty much cussing myself out. Saying, you're an idiot. And then I went to bed, took a lot of pills, went to bed. That's a joke. Got up the next morning, got my Bible, got in my red chair, and I got straightened out. And you know what I realized? All day Thursday, I'd been attacked in the very area I was teaching Wednesday night. That's what happened. And instead of putting up the breastplate of righteousness, I kept honing in on me. And where I should have been honing in was on Jesus and his righteousness, not my unrighteousness. Along with that, I'm perplexed, and I don't even know. So, 826. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Why was I being accused all day long on Thursday? Because I'm so screwed up. Because I've got so many weaknesses. The enemy just keeps bringing up episodes in my life where I screwed up. As a Christian, hey, how could I have been such an idiot? How could I have been so stupid? What the heck is wrong with me? And then it's that self. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, whenever you start getting hard on yourself, it's the work of Satan. When you start turning on yourself, that's his work. Okay. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Perplexity is a weakness. I'm perplexed. I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to say. Watch this. We do not know how to pray as we should. I'd say amen to that. Watch this. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So when I get so perplexed I can't pray, you know what I pray? I literally pray 826. And I say, I thank you, Lord. I, I don't know how to pray. I thank you that the Spirit himself is praying for me, not through me. He's praying for me. I thank you that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he lives forever to make intercession for me. I'm so screwed up, I don't even know what to pray, but 
Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they pray according to the will of God. Look at 27. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'm not sure what to pray because I don't know what the will of God is, but he knows. I tell you, it's the greatest prayer you can ever pray, uh, pray, and as someone has said, here's the prayer that is always answered. God always answers this prayer, not my will, but thine be done. That prayer is always answered. One of the old Puritans says, God has answered every prayer I have ever, ever prayed. Either he gave me what I asked, or he gave me what I should have asked. You perplexed? You lost your peace? Look at this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Oh, to those who love God. That's not for everybody. And we know. Do you know this? Only if you know the Word of God. We know that God causes all things. Well, what about perplexity? When I don't know what to do next, and I'm, I can't figure it out. God causes all things. To do what? To work together for good. Oh, really? Yeah, according to... Uh, for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And see, once again, a lot of guys don't like that word. Predestined. I, don't, I don't believe in predestination. Well, it's in the Bible, man. No, we have such a hard time with this. It's one of the great doctrines. You can't go to heaven unless you're predestined. I've said to guys, I've had guys say, I don't like predestination. Okay, fine. Well, let me ask you this. You think God has a plan for your life? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's predestination, man. That's all that means. How's your plan working out? You better hope he's got a plan, bozo. You screwed up your life, I screwed up mine. If he doesn't have a plan, we're in trouble, right? It just means he has a plan, and he's going to do it. He predestined, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be firstborn among many brethren. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. There's the word. Watch this. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. You know what that means? It means we're going to heaven. That's where we get glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? I'll tell you who's against us. Satan in Ephesians 6. So how do I stand firm? Right here. What, it just talked about justification. It talked about the whole process. You, 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 you've got salvation. You, you've got justification. You've got sanctification. That's my present, what I'm doing now. And then you've got glorification, what's going to happen in the future, and it's guaranteed. And when I start thinking on that, you know what? I've got peace with God. And that tells me, hey, you know what? I'm going to be okay because he's Lord of my life. He died for me. He saved me. He will sustain me. Am I perplexed? Yeah. But he's going to work it for my good. Is he going to get me through it? Yeah. He will. So what do I do? I stand on the truth. And oh, what happens when I stand on the truth? You know what happens to me? I get peace. And I'm okay. And Friday was a pretty good day. You know why? And so I got recalibrated. And I got my armor back on. You know what my problem was? I got the armor off. Didn't mean to, but it did. Kind of slipped off. Isn't this wild? There's going to be a day, you know what? Hey, let me tell you something. There's going to be a day we're not going to deal with any of this stuff. We're going to be with him. 
Will that not be good? In the interim, let's put on the full armor. Oh, and you know what? Let's enjoy his peace. Our Father, we thank you for the power of your scriptures. We thank you for your power, period. We thank you that you have told us the truth. You have given us the armor. We have a foe who is subtle, who will con us, who will lie to us. Through each of these battles, some we win, some we lose. We grow, we mature, we learn. Thank you that you are not disappointed in us because Jesus took the disappointment on him. As sons, when we fall short and we're obstinate, you'll discipline us. You're not throwing us out of the family. You're just giving us a few whacks on the rear end to get our attention. You love us. How will he who freely gave up his son, will he not give us all things? If you sent him to die for us, you will give us precisely what we need. What a great father you are. We thank you for the son and the spirit. Apply these truths to our hearts and to mine when I get home tonight and tomorrow. Protect us in the truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.